1: was just about to take off when a five-year-old boy began to throw a temper tantrum. His embarrassed mother tries to calm him down, but the boy continued to kick and scream. Suddenly, from the rear of the plane, an Air Force general slowly walked up the aisle. He stepped beside the boy, nodded to his mother, and leaned down to quiet the little boy and talk to him. He motioned toward his chest, patted the boy on his head, and he walked away. As if it was magic, the boy immediately calmed down and quietly fastened his seatbelt. All the other passengers burst into applause. Amen. As the general slowly makes his way back to his seat, one of the cabin attendants touched his sleeve and said, Excuse me, general, but what did you say to that little boy? Well, the old man smiled serenely and said, I showed him my pilot's wings, service stars, and battle ribbons and explained that they entitled me to throw anyone I want out the door of the plane that I'm on. So I read this story and I thought, it's amazing how much people will listen to someone with the right kind of authority who can back it up with the proper credentials. Have you been with us? Were you with me last week? Just by a show of hands. Were you with me last week? That's a good number of you. You know that Peter, James, and John, and Jesus were on the Mount of Transfiguration, and while there, Jesus' glory and his deity began to shine forth through his humanity. And his face began to shine like the sun. His clothes became white and radiant. The two men showed up. And anybody know who those two men were? Moses and Elijah. Very good. And a glory cloud, the Bible says, descended on the mountain. And a voice of authority came booming out of the cloud. And it said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then Peter said, well, let's just stay here and let's build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. You see, Peter wants to build three tabernacles and stay on the mountain. You know, somebody once said that God never allows his people to build their tabernacles in the place of his glory when the world is still in flames. I like that. So they came down from the mountain and reality was waiting in the valley. Mountaintop experiences. Are good and they prepare us, listen to me close, and they prepare us for living in the valley. Steve mentioned the men's retreat and he mentioned that we had a wonderful time. Actually there was a probably about a hundred men who attended the men's retreat. That was a blessing. And We had a wonderful, wonderful time. Saturday night, I think I mentioned it to you, Saturday night was just awesome. Men were praying with each other, crying out to God, worshiping. It was just an amazing, tangibly you could sense the presence of God. If you've never been on a men's retreat or you've never been on a women's retreat, you should go on one because you can get away and hear from God. And you have those mountaintop experiences where God is speaking and you're listening. I think that's more important. Huh? God's speaking and you're listening. And sometimes you want to say, hey, let's stay here. This is great. Let's stay here. But you have to go back down in the valley. So back down in the valley, the nine were dealing with a demon possessed boy and they couldn't cast the demon Now, Mark chapter 9, verse 14 tells us that the religious people were laughing at them because they couldn't deliver the boy. And they were faced with failure and frustration. My sermon title, Saints, Failure, Frustration, and Moving Forward. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 37. If you're looking at it, say amen. Some of y'all ain't looking. Look at verse 37. If you're looking at it, let me hear you say amen. Amen. That's better. And it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. And suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, teacher, I implore you or master or rabboni, I implore you, look on my son for he is my, what does it say, saints? only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out and it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him, beating him up. And so I implore your disciples, I implored your disciples to cast the demon out, but they could not. And then Jesus answered in verse 41, are you looking at it? Jesus answered and said, "O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here, underline that. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears or into your heart, like through your ears and into your heart. But the Son of Man is about to, is about to, is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. And it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Saint, stop right there. Give me your attention. The story of the transfiguration was so powerful and life-changing that you will find this story. If you're taking notes, you'll find it in Matthew. You'll find it Matthew 17. You'll find it in Mark 9. You will also find it in the second epistle of Peter. They all wrote about it. It was so powerful and so impacting. So Peter, James, and John, they had this awesome experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus came down the mountain only to later climb another mountain, Mount Calvary. Matthew tells us, if you read the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us as they were coming down the mountain, they're heading down the mountain, Jesus looks over at the disciples and he says, fellas, He says, let's just keep this between me and you. He says, don't tell anybody. And they're probably thinking, that's great. We just had this awesome, amazing experience and this mountaintop experience, but we can't tell anybody. I mean, these guys are all fired up. They had just had the experience of their life. They get to the bottom of the mountain and the nine disciples are waiting down there. And of course they say, hey guys, what, what, what happened up there? I mean, Jesus just took y'all three. What happened up there? And they were saying, nothing. Nothing. Y'all were up there for a mighty long time. What happened? Nothing. Jesus told them, don't tell anybody. You know, it's almost like that story of these two pastors that ditched their services on Sunday morning to go golfing. And they told the leadership that they were sick. Well, they got out on the golf course in the first hole, hole in one, second hole, hole in one, third hole, hole in one, hole after hole, hole in one. The problem was when they got back, they couldn't tell anybody. <laughs> Jesus said, don't tell anybody because it's hour." Had not come yet. So after their mountaintop experience, they get down the mountain only to find, did you get this? That the devil is waiting for them. You know, I have found that to be true. You have these mountain anybody know what I'm talking about? You have these mountaintop experiences with God. You've been on a retreat, everything was wonderful. God spoke, it was amazing. And then you come home and something happens. You come home and you start having loud fellowship with your wife. That's what we call arguing, y'all. But in the church, we call it loud fellowship. Or you come home and the kids are acting right. you come back down and something happens here. They were up on the mountain. They come down and the devil is waiting for them. There's a great multitude. We just read it. There's a great multitude there. And out of the crowd comes this father crying to Jesus for mercy. He says, Jesus, I beg you, please have mercy on my only son. Listen, you're going to love this. Luke, of all the other gospel writers, Luke is the only one that makes the point to tell us of an only child. You know it was the widow of Nain. Her son died, which was her only son. Jairus had a daughter who was 12 years old, and it was his only daughter and she died. And now Luke tells us this demon-possessed boy was this father's only son, which makes me believe that it's very possible that Luke was an only child. He's the only gospel writer who makes the point of the only son. Jesus says the father brings this little boy to Jesus And he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. The father says to Jesus, a spirit has taken over my son. And he cries out and the spirit causes my son to convulse and to foam at the mouth. Mark chapter nine, you can write this in your margin. Mark chapter nine and Matthew chapter 17 tell us that the spirit would throw the boy in the fire. That the spirit was so evil. Are y'all listening? Was so evil that it would try to drown the boy. This spirit would give this boy epileptic seizures. The word epileptic would be better translated lunatic. The word lunatic means to be smitten by the moon. In that culture, they believe that if you were sleeping outside at night and the moon happened to shine on your face, it would drive you crazy and thus lunatic. Very interesting. This demon was hurting this boy and this father was desperate. Put yourself, listen, put yourself, parents, in this father's shoes. I mean, how many of us have had children who were sick and they're so sick, maybe high fever, and you wish it could be you? And they're just sick. And you're like, oh, I feel so bad. You feel helpless. You feel like there's nothing you can do. They're crying, their fever's high, and you wish it could be you. Put yourself in his father's shoes. His boy is not only sick, but this boy is being held captive by Satan. And and his father is completely and totally helpless. While other men were teaching their sons a trade or teaching their sons to fish, this father was just trying to keep his son alive. He couldn't leave his son alone for a minute, 24-7 watch. And so he comes to Jesus. He drops to his knees and he says, Jesus, I'm desperate. Jesus, I'm tired. Jesus, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't help me. Interesting contrast between last week and this week. Watch this. Interesting contrast. Jesus goes from mountain top to valley low. From glory to shame, from light to darkness, from power to helplessness. Interesting. Well, then in verse 41, go ahead and peek at it in your Bibles. And Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, Generation, how long shall I put up with you? Jesus says, Oh, faithless and perverse generation. Listen, he wasn't just talking to the nine. He was talking to the crowd, Chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus gave them authority and power over all demons and diseases. And yet here, they can't cast out a spirit. Jesus says, how long shall I bear with you? Bring your son here. Listen, this is a great word for parents. Parents, listen close. When your children are acting like lunatics, say amen, parents. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to the Lord. And honestly, I really feel that it is important that, fellas, husbands, fathers, listen. I think that's your responsibility as a father to lead your family to the cross. It is not your wife's responsibility. It's not her responsibility to lead the family in spiritual matters. According to the scriptures, you are the head of the wife and thus being the head of the wife and the head of the home, you should be the one to lead your family in, in the things of the Lord. You should be the one to go out and find the church for your family to attend. You should be the one coming to church, listening, making sure that church is a church that's solid in the teaching of the word of God so that your family is properly cared for, nurtured and fed the word of God. That's your responsibility, not your wife wives that's two people agree with me but I'm still right (laughs) I know it that's your responsibility I can't tell you how many women I meet and they come to church and and I meet them after the service and they're hey your first time here yeah great yeah um, so, so, uh, i married. Yeah, I'm married. Kids? Yeah, we got ki- I got kids too. Oh, where's your husband? I'd like to meet him. Oh, he's home watching football. He sent me out to find a good church. People have told me this. He sent me to find a good church. I'm like, he sent you to find a good church? Oh yeah. Well, she, she goes home and he says, honey, how was, how was church? Did you find a good church? He's munching on popcorn. <laughs> watching the game. You find a good church? Oh, yes, I did. I found this awesome, 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 awesome. Did I mention awesome pastor at that one church with that awesome pastor? And then he comes. That's not the wife's responsibility. We as men, it is our role and our responsibility to lead our families. Listen, on Sunday morning, when it's time to go to church, you husband, you should not. Father, you, you should not be the last one out the bed. The wife got you up. Honey, we got to get up and go to church. Oh, we got to go to church. <laughs> oh, yeah. You should be the first one out the bed going around telling everybody else. Let's get up and go to church. All right, that's the way I do it in my house. You know, I told you all in my house. Anybody, if it's breathing in my house on Sunday morning, it's going to church. Only 10 of y'all. Y'all need help. Let me tell you, if it's breathing in my house, you're going to church on Sunday morning. That's just the way we roll. If you don't want to go to church, don't come to my house. That's why my family don't come visit me on the weekend. They do not. They wait till Sunday night or Monday to show up. But they think I don't know. They don't come visit me during the weekend because they know on the weekend you're going to church. If you don't want to go to church, you need to get a hotel. Amen, because you're going to church, because that's how we do. In our home, I don't leave my house with people in the bed. We go to church. We love the Lord. Now, listen, it's easier, parents. Look, I'm just trying to help you. I'm your pastor. I'm just trying to help you. It's easier when you start when they're babies. Don't try this at home when they're 19, because you're dealing with grown folk then. Don't try this when they're 19 years old. Oh, you go going to church. You live here. you go going to church. Well, we never went to church. Well, all of a sudden we're going to church because now I'm different. I love Jesus and we're going to church. <laughs> well, you go to church. <laughs> Don't do it then. Don't do it when they're 19 years old. Do it when they're 19 days. Have your baby and get yourself situated and then take them and put them in the nursery. And if you raise your children, this is what the Bible says, raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. You don't just start this when they're in their teens and all of a sudden you're going to be godly. You do it when they're babies. My children have all been raised. Honestly, I've only been in Calvary Chapel for as long as my kids have been in the world. So my children have all been raised in a Calvary Chapel. Elvira spit that baby out on Saturday. Sunday, we go to church. Hallelujah! Sick ain't no time for being sick. You ain't feeling good. Well, you had the baby twelve hours ago. You ain't better yet. Ronnie Junior was something else. You know my son on the drums. He about big as that drum cage. He like he all squished in the drum cage. (laughs) Y'all tell him I said it. I will lie. Yes, I will. And ask the Lord forgiveness later. (laughs) He was big. I tell y'all, Rodney was ten pounds, some odd ounces at birth. I told her, I said, sweetie, you didn't have a baby, you had a turkey. (laughs) She spit out a turkey, and he was twenty-three and a quarter inches long. He was huge. Elvira got finished delivering. She had natural delivery with no, no pain. All this new stuff y'all women got going on, take away the pain, all that. Elvira was pushed She pushed that boy out. When she was done, she looked like she'd been in a fight. Her eyes were black. Go ask her. said, Elvira looked like she. I said, Sweetie, you look bad. I said, Honey, you look horrible. That's the Saturday. I said, We're going to church tomorrow. Going to church. It's, it's your job. It's your responsibility to lead your family and to bring them to Jesus. Jesus said, Bring the son to me. And as they were bringing the boy, boy, go look at verse 42. As they were bringing the boy, the demon, did y'all get this? The demon wouldn't let up. He continued to convulse and to throw the boy. The phrase threw him down is a term of Greek wrestling like the last pin down before the match is over. Verse 42, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him to his father. Now you put the stories together again, saints, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 19 through 21, it tells us at this point, they pulled Jesus aside privately, and they said, why couldn't we cast him out? Y'all still with me? Why couldn't we cast him out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a what? Mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, move here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by what? Prayer and fasting. Listen, Jesus isn't talking about great faith here. He's talking about little faith. What makes you say that, Rodney? Because the faith of a mustard seed, the mustard seed is the smallest of the seeds. And if I hear one more sermon about what great faith we ought to have. Oh, you got to have great faith. You got to have big faith. You have big faith. God do big things. You have little faith. God do little things. We all heard that. Got to have more faith, more faith, more faith, big faith, big faith for God to do big things. Listen, the Bible does not teach that. That's unbiblical. Hello, read your Bible. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, conversely, if we have little faith, God will do great things. God does not need your big faith. And what that does is that actually puts the burden on you to have more faith so that God can move. God does not need you. I'm going to say it again because this side of the room didn't get it. God does not need you. He can do it without you. Just a little faith. Not a lot of faith. The faith of a mustard seed. Jesus isn't talking about the quantity of faith, but the quality of your faith. Jesus says, if you have a little faith, you can do great things for God. And with this faith, you can move mountains from here to there. The mountain moving faith is so that you can do what is humanly impossible with men, but what is possible with God. Notice in verse 21 of Matthew 19, Jesus said, this kind does not go out except by what? Fasting and prayer. Jesus said, this kind of demon, this boy has, requires them to pray and to fast. Now you write this down, Ephesians 6, 12. There are different rankings of demonic power, and some are stronger and more stubborn, and some are resistant to others. And Jesus said, the reason you couldn't cast this demon out is because of your prayerlessness and your powerlessness. Fasting goes with prayer and prayer goes with fasting. What's the difference? Listen, prayer attaches your heart to heaven and fasting detaches your heart from the world. Prayer attaches your heart to heaven and fasting detaches your heart from the world. It isn't that prayer and fasting makes you more worthy to cast out demons I don't think people in the church really have a clue as to what fasting is all about.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times,